Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Everybody having a good Sunday so far? Good. I promise to try not to mess up that experience for you in the next 25 or so minutes. Um, We are still continuing to talk about the Beatitudes. um, And for today's message, you know, I was trying to trying to think of a way that I could, an experience I really had to, to really identify with the beatitude for today. Today, excuse me, I'm all choked up. And, uh, and I had to go back to a time when I did one of, I was dealing with one of the organizations I love the most in life, the Central Texas Mobility Authority. Um, <laughs> there's nothing more life-giving than calling the folks at Textag or calling CTMA. It's always such a fruitful conversation. It's always, it always makes you just feel really good to be just alive and driving and paying and value. Yeah, I feel valued when I call CTMA. But I don't know. There's probably someone in here who, who is like, no, I, you know, I, I, I like paying tolls. And we will pray for you at the end of service. We really will. Um, but, uh, but there was this one time in particular, I don't know if you probably all remember, there was a time when, uh, you know, if you had the, uh, if you had the, like your card on file with text tag, they would just, you know, they just, they just bill you and then refresh it, which didn't feel very refreshing to me when I would see it come through. Uh, and we noticed during, uh, it was, I guess, about two years ago or so, when a whole bunch of other things in life seemed to be weird too, uh, about two years ago, I think it was, um, I started getting like duplicate and triplicate and quadruplicate. I don't know how to duplicate. I don't know what the next level is, but it was, it was several levels above duplicate. I'm thinking, I didn't, even, I didn't even drive last week. How did I get charged for that? Anybody else have that experience? Duplicate charges? Yes. And so I called up, I got mad and you don't, <laughs> like a Bruce Banner thing, don't make me angry. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Actually, I'm pretty much just like this when I'm angry, to be honest. But every once in a while, I think, man, I'm really going to just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my way. I'm going to go. I'm going to call them. And I called CTMA with the, I had all my documentation in hand, all the ways that I had been charged that I, that I, I hadn't, that were incorrect. And I was going to just drop the hammer. I was going to lower the boom. I was going to, you know get what I wanted, and then, and then metaphorically mic drop while all of my money was credited back. And I learned a big lesson in Newton's third law of motion on that day. Newton's third law of motion says, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction to resist it. And I found that when <laughs> I came with the intent to exert some force, and I called that, that poor, poor person who's just doing their job at CTMA. I called and I was like, you know, I need all my money back and give me some other people's money back too because I feel like I deserve that and you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was met with um, this wall of silence and indifference and unhelpfulness, which I totally understand now looking back on how I approached the conversation. For every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. And I came in just ready to get my way and the lady I was talking to was determined, no, 
you're not going to get your way. Um, I'm sorry, it's policy, and there's a web, you can go on the website. So I went to get on the website, and the website was actually down for several months, so I couldn't do anything there either. And so I thought, OK, that didn't work. Maybe I could try a different tact. So I called again. I, I, I prayed. I lit candles. I checked my heart. I, you know, I, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I, I did all sorts of things internally to make sure that I was calling to be a blessing. I heard, you know, my mom used to say you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. And my dad used to say you can catch the most with dead squirrels, which actually happens to be true, I think. <laughs> but I decided just to call and try to be collaborative, try to be humbled, to assume good intent, to communicate well, and most of all, to be a blessing and not a curse, which, uh, you know, actually brings up like Newton's first law of motion, which is that, uh, which is that an object at rest, I have to look because I'm not a scientist, an object at rest remains at rest unless it's acted on by another force. So I went in with an attitude of rest, just to have some conversation, see what the problem could be, see if there's any solution we could come upon together. And I gotta say, it went so much better. I got like $10 back, <laughs> which I felt like was a huge, a huge win, right? I came in in an attitude of rest, and the lady at the other end of the line felt no reason to resist me and allowed me to stay at rest, which brings us to today's beatitude, because I can only talk about tolls for so long. Um, Matthew 5.5, Matthew five. the biggest amen of the day comes from talking not about tolls. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So we've got to look at the dictionary definition of meek, and meek is something that we don't seem to like very much in our society, and it's not as highly valued as it should be. The dictionary defines meek as, by the way, I was an English teacher, I always told my students never start out an essay that way. The dictionary defines history as, you know, that sort of thing, because uh, it's just a bad way, but I'm going to start out the message this way. The dictionary <laughs> defines meek as quiet, gentle, easily imposed upon, submissive. And those are, not, those are not values that seem to be prized in pretty much anything we do. In the business world, you're not told to just go be meek, be submissive, be easily imposed upon, and you'll make your way to the top, kid. You know, that's not how that goes. Even in relationships, you know, we're, we're told to, um, or encouraged anyway, to, to fight, to get what's ours, you know, to, to make sure that we're valued, make sure that we're getting our way, and don't let people run over you. It's very counterintuitive to be meek. We tend to desire control, but we got to remember that, as we've said before over the last several weeks, Jesus is talking about his kingdom. He's not talking about our world. He's not talking about the castles that we build for ourselves. He's talking about a kingdom, and in his kingdom, things usually go very differently than the way that we would want them to go, right? Things seem to be sort of, sort of backwards, uh, even in the Beatitudes. The poor are blessed, and heaven belongs to them. Those who mourn are happy because they get comforted. And here, the meek are fortunate because they inherit the earth. I don't know if you've ever had a time when you've been forced to take the low road, to be meek, but it doesn't often feel like you're about to inherit the earth. It feels like 
You're getting run over sometimes. It feels like you're not getting your way. It feels like you're becoming a doormat or a patsy or you know, any of these other words that we use when we want to be, we want to put meekness in a negative light, right? But we've got to take a look at what it means to inherit something as well. Inheritance is something that you receive not because of what you've done, because of who you are. If you receive an inheritance from a parent, from a grandparent, it's not because of anything that you've done. You might have done some pretty awful things that they would have said, I don't think I want to give you that. But you get the inheritance because of relationship. You get the inheritance because of who you are, not because of what you've accomplished. Right? And, and, and so it's important for us to know that we receive an inheritance. We inherit the kingdom based on our identity. We have to remember who we are in Christ in order to put how he wants us to, how he wants us to walk through this world in the proper perspective. Uh, the way we see ourselves makes a huge difference in how easily we can receive the kingdom that Jesus is promising. Uh, if you look at the message version of Matthew 5.5, 5, it says this, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. We take a look at that definition again. Meek means quiet, gentle, easily imposed upon, and submissive. And it's really easy for us. I know when I first read that, and for some of you, maybe you, you, you thought that too, when I'm talking about easily imposed upon, submissive, you immediately went to the negativity of associating that in relationship to you and other people. I don't want to be easily imposed upon. I don't want to be submissive with other people. I don't, I don't want them to run all over me. You probably like, you, you envision like a world where everybody runs over you, you're a doormat, and you're always going to have to pay every erroneously charged toll that CTMA puts on you, which is not the right way to live. But it's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's, he's not even really talking about meekness with being easily imposed upon by other people. This is about us and the Father. This is about being meek before God, having the right heart. We'll go to this all the time, right? First Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. So being meek in heart, this is God's kingdom we're talking about. In order to inherit it, we have to kind of change our own sense of identity. And when we do that, we can receive from him who he says we are. Meekness means that we know how to submit to God's identity for us. So when we're able to see who he's made us to be, then we're able to better step into everything that he's wanting us to do to be able to accomplish his will on the earth, to be able to establish his kingdom. We can't do those things if we don't know who we are in him. Jesus continues uh, in verse 7 Actually, we've got to stretch because we're taking in two Beatitudes in one day. Okay, okay, so get, you know, get your Gatorade, get ready to go. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We talked about meekness, but what is mercy? We've got to look to the dictionary again. Mercy is compassionate or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender, an enemy, or another person in one's own power. And because that definition contains the word forbearance, I think I should make it simpler for me. There's a simpler, more quotable way to say it. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Not giving someone what they deserve. And this is 
It's a little different than grace. You know, grace is when you give somebody something they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving someone something that, man, they just deserve it. And you withhold that. That's mercy. This is also a concept that's very counter to the way we're taught to do everything in our world. Uh, we live in a culture of judgment. We live in like, I mean, sometimes I'm looking at a social media feed and it looks like I'm watching an episode of the Jerry Springer show. Everybody remember Jerry Springer? Where you bring one person out and everybody just pretty much just beats them up for an hour and, and then we leave and we go to commercial. You know, it feels that way. We live in a culture where there's something so in, enticing and inviting for people to join in on beating somebody up. That's not what God's called us to. He's called us to do something different. This is one of the things that as, as a church and as the church, we need to get mercy right. We need to get this in our spirits because if we want to make a difference in the world, we have to be different than the world. We have to do it differently. Jesus has shown us that receiving mercy, mercy is absolutely immensely valuable because God's mercy is what brings all of us into the kingdom. The reason that you're here right now, the reason we were able to have this moment where we were praying for one another and people were receiving things from God is because of God's great mercy. It, that's the only reason that we're here is because God didn't give us what we deserved. But showing mercy is also valuable. Jesus says there's a blessing that comes to those who are merciful, but it kind of seems to be a lost art. It seems to be something that we think of after the fact, after my initial reaction, like with CTMA, after my initial phone call, which is what I want to do, my second phone call, my follow-up, I approach it a little bit more humbly, and I'm able to do something a little bit more in line with what God wants me to do. It's a lost art that we have to restore. So restoring the lost art of mercy, a couple things that we need to remind ourselves. Number one, we need to remind ourselves how merciful God is to us. How merciful God is to us. We need to think about it. It needs to come up in our minds. It needs to come up in our conversations more often than it probably does. God's been merciful to us. God has shown us his great mercy. God, had, God knew what we deserved and he held it. And he said, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm, I'm forgiving you of that. That's not, what's in store for you. I have a different plan. That's what the world would have in store for you, but that's not what I have in store for you. Forgiveness is, uh, is linked to, or asking for forgiveness is linked to extending forgiveness. In the NIV in Matthew verse six, uh, chapter six, verse 12, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Jesus is using this word debt, which means like a bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is just a wild deal because the debt, you, those were choices. That's a legal debt that you owe. You, you, we gotta own that. You made that happen. You, you know, for whatever reason, situational or bad choices, whatever, when there's a bankruptcy involved, those are debts that I owe, but there's no way that I could ever earn enough to pay them. That's not the kind of debt that I can earn my way out of. That's the kind of debt that has to be forgiven. There's no other way. It has to just be canceled out. And that's the word that Jesus is using here. We can't earn God's forgiveness. 
We owed a debt that we couldn't pay. We can't earn that forgiveness. God said, well, this is, you're, this is a bankruptcy. I'm just going to have to forgive this. And so when we realize, man, I can't earn God's forgiveness, then we also have to realize that we have to stop requiring other people to earn ours. We have to be forgiving as God was forgiving of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. To God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It's by God's grace that you have been saved. It's by God's grace. And that needs to be at the forefront of our minds, the forefront of our activity, the forefront of our hearts. God, more than anything, I want to act as a person who knows that I've been forgiven of something incredibly huge. The second thing about restoring the lost art of mercy. So first, remind ourselves how merciful God is to us. Second, remember, we will all face God one day. We will all face him one day. It's in the, it's in the beatitude. Why be merciful? Because if we're merciful, we'll be shown mercy. We'll be shown mercy. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In the Lord's Prayer, this is the only part that Jesus actually expounds on. It's the only part he gives more information about. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh, because if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father won't forgive yours. Um, Peter one time I asked Jesus just how forgiving and merciful we should be. And I feel like he was a fisherman. I feel like he was kind of fishing for the answer that he wanted. And he says, uh, so how many times should I forgive someone? Like, uh, like seven? Is that, is that enough? You know, which would have been like, I, I would have wanted like the lowest common denominator level of forgiveness because it's hard, right? So, so Peter's like, how many times do we really have to forgive somebody? They're like, seven's good, right? Seven, seven will work. Don't you think about seven? And Jesus said, and when you ask Jesus a question like that, you should know that you don't have the right answer, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says to him, no, 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 70 times seven, which probably freaks Peter out because he's probably trying to do the math. And he realizes, wow, every single day, 490 times? I mean, there's opportunity for sure. Like more than that probably to forgive people because people are just people. But... 490 times a day? Lord, I thought we were going for seven. Can we, like, negotiate? Can we come back to seven? That seems easier. But literally, it's 490 times a day. Figuratively, it means however much it takes. However many times you got to do it. Our forgiveness is supposed to be inexhaustible, just like God's forgiveness is for us. Uh, Jesus is also telling the disciples in the in this passage, Matthew uh, 18, 21 through 33, it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. So just to recap, there's a servant that owes a king, one version says 10,000 pounds of silver. I'm like, wow, king probably should have caught that a few months ago. <laughs> Somebody's not doing the books right. And this servant has been like, like you know, taking away silver. 10,000 pounds of silver. And the king says, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of in trouble. The servant asks for mercy. And the king moves mercifully and says, okay, I'm going to forgive it. Servant is 
walks off scot-free, goes back to meet another servant who owes him like a couple of silver coins. He refuses to forgive him. He has him thrown in jail until he can repay it. And I'm thinking, he's not going to earn much in jail. He's going to be there a while. The king gets wind of this, calls the servant in, and he says in Matthew 18, he says, shouldn't you have mercy on others just as I had mercy on you? And I think the father asks us the same thing. He's asking us that same question today because we're going to walk out the door and we're going to have opportunities to show mercy or to withhold it. And he's asking us that question, shouldn't you have mercy on others just as I had mercy on you? The book of James uh, shows us this same truth. So you must show mercy to others or God will not show mercy to you when he judges you. But the person who shows mercy can stand without fear at the judgment. The way of this world is to judge other people, to hold grudges, to make sure that we're getting ours and we're getting what we deserve and other people are getting what we are pretty sure they deserve, right? And on some level, I feel like there's fear at the heart of that. We're afraid of what, what will happen if we choose to forgive, if we choose to show mercy, if we choose to be meek. We don't, be, we don't want to be run over. We don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to be left out or left behind. We don't want to always pay duplicate toll charges. We just don't, you know, right? But that's, this is the heavy stuff right here. But in God's kingdom, what Jesus is telling us is the merciful don't have anything to fear. The merciful don't have anything to fear. They actually get to inherit it all. Let that motivate our decisions next time we're in an argument with somebody, next time somebody has wronged us, right? Uh, we see this in the, in, in the book of Micah. Jesus is calling us to a ministry of mercy. And in Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. C.S. Lewis, one of my faves, says it this way. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. So important. We have to fight slipping into this Jerry Springer Coliseum culture kind of thing where we bring somebody out, we expose what we think is their fault, and then we rally around with other people to highlight it and to bring them down so that we feel better about ourselves somehow in some weird, twisted way. And we, we live in that culture. We live in this Colosseum culture where it's okay to beat somebody down if you seem to be in the majority, if you seem to have friends doing it, right? And that's not how we're supposed to live. If we want to make a difference in the world, we have to be different. So we need to be meek and merciful to everyone. And here are four places to start. Number one, show mercy. And you're probably going to have opportunity just even just today alone to get all four of these, right? Because people are sometimes messed up. So show mercy, number one, to those who make mistakes. It's really easy to kick somebody when they're down, but Jesus is calling us to a higher road that is a harder road. He's calling us to something that's a little bit more challenging. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, we're called to help those who need a second chance. Human nature is to judge, but James 2.13 tells us mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. Second, let's show mercy not only to those who make mistakes, but to those who let us down. Sometimes that's the same person. Their mistake caused us to be disappointed. And then we get wrapped up in emotion about that, and we feel like we're wronged. Most times people are not even wronging us intentionally. It's just a mistake. It's like, it's like a Shakespearean play or an episode of Three's Company. I feel like, well, that could have been solved in a, like a 20-second conversation. You didn't, you didn't probably need to carry that out for the whole length of the thing. So show mercy to those who let us down. Show mercy and forgive those, of, those who have wronged us, whether they did it on purpose or not. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he made seven statements. And the first one was, in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And that's it. Honestly, that's at the heart of most of the times when we feel wronged. Somebody wronged us, and they didn't even know what they were doing. And we internalize it, and then we want to be judged instead of just being merciful and showing forgiveness. And I'm not saying that if you've been wrong that you have to pretend like it didn't happen. It happened. It's, it's real. It's fact. It happened. But what we have to do is we have to be able to release it and not let the fact that it happened taint our heart and cause us to react in a way that Jesus wouldn't have us react, right? We, we know that only God can change hearts. Me being mad at somebody, not talking to them, that never helps, actually. Me, me, me holding something against somebody will never change their heart. It will only move them further from me. And if I have a relationship with God and they don't, then it only moves them further from God, right? right? So we don't have to pretend like it didn't happen, but what we do have to do is let God in on the process. He's the only one who can change hearts. So we need to release that situation and let him in so that he can do that thing that only he can do, so that he can change hearts, so that he can take over and he can draw people to him. He said, if I'll be lifted up, I'll draw everyone to me. We can't lift God up if we're holding on to the heaviness of judgment and unforgiveness. We can't lift him up. We have to release it so that he can be glorified and he can draw people to him. Colossians 3, 12, 13 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Third group of people to show mercy to, those who are far from God. I won't say a lot about this. I just, I just want to encourage us. At the very least, I know that we are going to go outside of this church. And hopefully when we go outside of this church, we are still the church. Hopefully we are still holding true to the same things that we hold true to when we're here on a Sunday morning, right? But let's be a church and let's be a people that draws in, that is determined to love and receive those who don't look right, they don't act right, they don't agree with you, they don't believe. Let's, let's, let's determine that regardless of what someone believes or what they happen to be doing at the moment, 
that doesn't change my course. That doesn't change my attitude. That doesn't change my heart toward them and what I'm willing to, the lengths I'm willing to go to embrace them. Let's be a people that's like that. Let's be a church that's like that. We can phrase it this way. Jesus connected before he corrected. We used to say this in teaching. People won't care what you know unless they know that you care, right? Jesus connected before he corrected. If you don't have a relationship with someone, you actually have no business correcting them. It's not going to help, at the very least. At the very least, it's not going to help. Who are you to correct me? I don't even know you, right? And the fourth group of people we need to show mercy to is ourselves. Ourselves. The hardest thing to do is forgive yourself. Take a look at Psalms. If you, ever, if you ever want to feel better about yourself a little bit in your current situation, just read the Psalms. <laughs> Psalm 38, verses 4 through 8. I am drowning in the flood of my sins. They're a burden too heavy to bear. Because I've been foolish, I'm utterly worn out and crushed. My heart is troubled. God has a really great word for you today. Because... Disappointment, we can put this up here. Disappointment is the gap between your expectation and reality. When things happen, when you're expecting something to happen and in reality something different happens, that's when you get disappointed. But here's the good news. God already knows everything that's gonna happen. So there is no discrepancy between what he expected and what you did. He's never disappointed in you. He's never disappointed in you. You can't disappoint God because there's nothing that he doesn't know and he still loves you unconditionally, which is really, really, really freeing. I wanna read this from Paul in 1 Timothy and then we're gonna, uh, Adrian and the team, can I get y'all to come up? Um, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out to me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to take communion as we close service. And uh, yeah, so if you guys can pass those out, that'd be wonderful. I would really appreciate it. We're going to take communion. Paul received and accepted the mercy that God was offering to him through Jesus. And it's time, and this morning we're going to do that. Each of us, we're going we're to accept that same forgiveness. We're going to take part. Can I have one of those too, Steve? Thank you. Appreciate it. We're going to take part in communion with the Lord. We do that. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, this is my body which was broken for you and my blood which was poured out for the forgiveness of of sins. He said, take the bread, take the, take the blood, take the body, take the blood, and do this in remembrance of me. As we're taking communion this morning, two prayers I specifically want to pray. I love the sound of all of these things opening. So as we're as we're taking communion this morning. We do this in remembrance of the Lord, and we do this not only to remember what he's done for us, but to look ahead to what he's going to do and to examine our own hearts. 
that we could be changed and move forward in a new path. That's why we're doing this. We want to identify with Jesus through the body and the blood. So let's do this. Before, before, we, take the, uh, before we take communion, let's bless the bread. Let's bless the, the cup. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins, for the restoration of our, of our hearts and our souls and our, our very lives. Jesus, we thank you that you sacrificed yourself to show mercy to us. You made yourself of, of no account and you spared us from something that we deserved. So when we take this this morning, God, we just, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. I wanna pray this prayer. Let's all pray this together. Um, this prayer to receive forgiveness because we're all in need of being forgiven. I know I am. So let's just ask for his forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. Today I invite you to be my Lord. Give me the power to change. In your name I pray. Amen. And I want to pray this prayer before we take the elements, this prayer of forgiveness of others. And I'll just pray this. Lord, I know that I've resented at times certain people and I have unforgiveness in my heart. So I ask you, God, to give me the power to release them forgive them. God, give us the power to release and forgive people who have hurt us. I forgive them now. And I ask you to forgive them also. And I ask that you replace whatever was in my heart that wasn't of you with peace and with the love of Jesus. And forgive me for the times I've hurt others. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing in just a moment. We're going to take the bread and the cup and after service, um, if you uh, if you haven't if you're here for the first time, we'd love to meet you. Uh, we're going to be right over there at the five minute party, um, and then ten minutes after service, we're going to have OC Connect, uh, and then if um, yeah, I think that's it. I think we can worship, and uh, yeah, we bless this. We can take communion and let's worship together.